Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your word. Bless your holy name for today. We thank you that your word will come forth in power, in simplicity, and in clarity of speech. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Happy Volunteers Week. Um, Volunteers Week is an opportunity to recognize and honor and appreciate all church workers and leaders that stand with the pastor. So um, thank you to all church members. All of you are a blessing. But um, permit me to mention Pastors Jessica and Robert and Minister Lily. Thank you very much for your loyalty, for your service, for allowing the gift of God to be a blessing to the church at large. So God richly bless you. Um, a scripture in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 says that God is not unjust. Um, please, can someone mute his or her mic? I hear too much feedback. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10, the Bible says God is not unjust to forget our labor of love. So I just want to say God richly bless you. Let me pray with you. Father, I want to pray for every volunteer and every worker. I thank you for the gift of God that is in them, that they use to be a blessing to the local church at large. I pray that their needs will be supplied. May they never lack any good thing. And Father, I thank you that may they continue to experience the bountiful supply of your grace, the abundant riches of your love towards them. And Father, I, I thank you that their ways will be ways of peace, and their paths will be paths of pleasantness. I thank you that no evil will befall them. And Father, just as they have availed themselves without pay just to do your work, I pray that may they not only be honored in the hereafter, may they also receive their honor here on this earth. I thank you for the gifts of God that you have given unto the church for us to receive as a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, Ephesians chapter 4. I have 10 slides, so if Pastor Jessica cannot work on it, I'll just send it all to you. Amen. So I'm really going to go very fast, so pardon me. If I do go fast, just re-listen to the message, and I'll send all the 10 slides. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12, I read... And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Amen. Now, before that, last week, we defined the church and as assembly of believers. So we are continuing our series on his church, the church. Last week was part one. We looked at the definition of the church and we talked about some features of the church. And in order for us to establish the definition from a scriptural point of view, we had to look at what the church is not, amen. And um, we went ahead to now talk about Acts chapter two, verse 42, where we gleaned three important features or three marks of a church. And today, the scripture that I just read, we want to focus on the ministry gifts and its purpose to the church. Amen. Um, when we talk about the church, there is no way you can divorce the ministry gifts from 
um, the assembly of believers together. Amen. One thing I personally note about the epistles in the New Testament is the use of many words. I don't know if you have also taken note of that, but if you ever read the New Testament, it tends to have a lot of words, and sometimes it can be a mouthful reading, especially the book of Ephesians. It's very loaded with words, so sometimes you really need to take your time and break it down, because every word stated there is very important, which needs to be broken down and not rushed, so that you can really get proper clarity and understanding. Now, if you do realize, it starts the scripture with and he gave some apostles, which means it's a continuation of a statement. So for us to understand the need um, of what the, the Bible is saying, why it's saying what it's saying, we will have to go back and read the preceding verses so that we can get a better perspective on what the verse is actually saying. Amen. Um, so Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 to 11 let me read but to each one of us grace was given but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift therefore he says when he ascended on high he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men now this he ascended what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Give me one second, and let me, let, let me pull up the slides. Amen. It didn't work. It dropped again. That's okay. So now when we read this verse, it's talking about from verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us. So that's what the scripture is actually saying. And what's the meaning of the word grace? Um, in Bible study last week, I did say that there are 23 different meanings of the word grace. The general meaning of grace is unmerited favor. But when you look at grace in this verse, it actually means capacity and ability. So the Bible lets us know that capacity and ability was given to each and every one of God's house according to the measure of Christ's gift. So once you become a Christian and you are saved, all of us have a capacity and have an ability according to Christ's gift. So there is nothing like I am ungifted. There is nothing like I am not talented. If you are part of the church, I'm here to announce that you have capacity and you have ability. And what is it measured after? It is measured after Christ's gift. God has truly given each and every one a gift. And it's very important that you find out from what God has given to you and what you are capable of in terms of gifting. Now, these gifts were given to us on the basis of Christ's ascension, which is his resurrection. The Bible lets us know that he ascended because he went down into the lowest parts of the earth, which was held to set the captives free. Now, one of the things you have to understand is that when Jesus died, 
the lowest parts of the earth that he went into was hell. And there are many scriptures to prove that. So if you read Acts chapter 2, especially verses 25 to 35, that's Peter's first sermon to the church. He quoted David on Psalm 16 verse 11 that Christ's body will not be left in hell and Christ's body will not suffer corruption because death will never be able to take captive over his body. So Peter was reiterating that prophecy that David gave in Psalm 16 verse 11 and he said that Christ went to hell for our behalf. And that's in Acts chapter 2 verse 25-35. Now this same Peter, he had a revelation on this concept. He quoted it again in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 19. And if you read it right down up to uh, chapter 4 verse 6, he talked about Jesus Christ going to hell to set captives free. The Bible lets us know that he preached to the spirits that were kept in prison that they may be free. So Paul, I believe also him gaining that understanding because mind you, Paul was also mentored by Peter. So Paul probably gaining that understanding also understood that when Christ resurrected from the dead on his ascension, not ascension as from the earth to heaven, but his ascension as from the dead to coming back into the living, he set captivity captives. And based on that, once he set captivity captives, he also released gifts. Amen. So look at the great pains Christ has had to go through just to build the church. He sent the local church gifts, the local assembly gifts, but it came at such a great price. Have you ever seen someone promise yet renege on his promise? You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 that I will build my church. And he wasn't dead. He said it at a time when he was alive. But it took great pains, great sacrifice. He didn't just have to die. He had to die, go into the lowest parts of the earth, release captives, and set them free, ascend, that's rise from the dead, and on the basis of his resurrection, he gave gifts to men. That is the price. So to me, this scripture really attests to the faithfulness of God that when Christ or God says something, he will never renege on his promise. Have you ever uh, said, uh, promised someone something and you have failed? Well, I've done that before. I remember one time I promised someone something and I really meant it. And about two weeks later, I didn't have the resource and he came to ask me. I reneged on my promise. You see, that's what happens. Man is finite. And it really, 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 really hurts me that I couldn't help the guy because I genuinely wanted to help him. But honestly speaking, I didn't have the resource to be able to do that. So what I'm trying to say is that Jesus, when he says something or when God says something, he's not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. When God says something, he will do it. Christ said, I will build my church. It was no child's play. He meant it. And he had to die. And when he died and when he released gifts, that is the beginning of building the church. So now, with that said now, 
we have to understand in verse 11 that the scripture that we just read talks to us about ministry gifts, which is termed as the fivefold ministry. And then when you read verse 12, it aligns their purpose to a local church. So from this story, it is very important to understand that ministry gifts are men or women for that matter. So when God is talking about he gave gifts to men, I'll paraphrase it like this. He gave men to men. Because these spiritual gifts, they come in form of men. Or for that matter, women. He gave men and women to men. Because honestly speaking, when it comes to ministry gifts, it's not only men that can stand in those offices. Women equally can also stand in those offices. So Christ gave men and women as gifts to men. Because if Christ, if God is going to build the church, he will not descend from heaven and come and build it. He is going to build it through men who have been empowered by the gifts. God will build his church through men. And that's why one of the things we have to understand is how to relate with man or woman for that matter who will be a blessing to our spiritual state. Thirdly, let's also remember that Ministry gifts, which is popularly termed as fivefold ministry, are not the only gifts outlined in the Bible. Amen. So if you read the scriptures, Romans chapter 12, verse 6, there are about seven gifts mentioned there. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy. All these are gifts. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to 11, the popular nine gifts of the Spirit are mentioned there. Words of wisdom and knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, designing of spirits, different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 to 28, it gives a mixture of ministry gifts and gifts of the spirits. But it mentions two gifts that are not in any of the lists, and that's helps and administration. So from all these texts, you can really see that there are at least about 21 gifts because Romans chapter 12, it repeats two gifts, prophecy and teaching. You know, the teaching is taken care of in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. The prophecy is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So the, the gifts that are really mentioned in Romans chapter 12 are five. So when you calculate it, at least there are about 21 gifts and it could be more. Amen. So every believer listening to me at the sound of my voice has at least one gift because the Bible lets us know that he has given us capacity and ability which is known as grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Amen. With that established, let's look at the fivefold ministry. Amen. I really think it's very important to look at this step by step because these are gifts that build the local church. Who are they? Sometimes we just mix them anyhow. This one is a prophet, this one is an apostle, and we are not clear about their definition and their roles. Amen. All right, thank you. This laptop, I nearly threw it away. Anyway. An apostle. Who is an apostle? 
An apostle is from the Greek word apostolos. He's a messenger. One that is sent. That's what it basically means. He is a delegate. Now, if you read the Bible carefully, the first person technically called to be an apostle was called Abijah the prophet in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 2. And if you read um, Abijah's story, it's a very interesting story. Um, Jeroboam, who was the king at that time, was married. No, no. Jeroboam, who was a king at that time, had a son called Abijah. And Abijah was sick. So Jeroboam sent his wife that he should go and see the prophets, you know. And the prophet was called Abijah. No, I'm sorry. The, The names are very confusing. One is H. I-J-A-H and one is A-B-I-J-A-H so the prophet is called Abijah and the son of the king was called Ahijah so Ahijah was sick to death and then Jeroboam sent his wife that go and see the prophet Abijah so that was it so when you read 1 Kings chapter 14 verse 2 the Bible says that Abijah the prophet now if you look at the Hebrew lexicon of that verse it means Abijah the, the apostle because he was a messenger one that was sent by God. Well, I find that very interesting because if you look at the Hebrew definition of the word prophet in the Old Testament, this is the only scripture where it doesn't define him as a spokesperson, as an intercessor, anything like that, but it uses the word apostle. And that word is equivalent to apostolos in the New Testament. I hope I'm making myself clear. So he was technically the first apostle named in the Bible, Abijah, and he was a prophet. And the Bible says that when Jeroboam's wife came, Abijah prophesied to Jeroboam that because you have built other gods, created other idols and stuff like that, your kingdom is going to be taken away from you and your child is going to die anyway. And all these things came to pass. So that's Abijah the prophet. Abijah the prophet was the one that prophesied the downfall of Jeroboam and prophesied the death of Jeroboam's son as a result of Jeroboam following after other gods. Amen. Now, in the New Testament, the first batch of people called apostles were the disciples in Matthew 10, verse 1 to 4. And when you read it, you realize that the disciples were also known as apostles. Jesus was also called an apostle in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. The most popular and preeminent of this group were Peter and Paul. Now, when we talk about apostle, these are normally the most popular and the preeminent of the whole group. So, based on that, let's now look at features of the apostle. So the first thing that you have to see about an apostle is that they have a signature message like Paul. They they have a signature message. That's one thing about an apostle. You see, Paul was called to preach on 
the doctrine of grace. That's why apostles are not really pastors. You know, one of one major difference between an apostle and a pastor is that the apostle is a specialist. The pastor is a general practitioner. So like in medicine, before one becomes a doctor, you first have to become a general practitioner. Then out of that, you take one particular area and you specialize on. That, that's how apostles and pastors are like. And that's why apostles rarely don't have to sit down and pastor church because if you're an apostle and let's say you are called to preach on the doctrine of grace, your church is not only going to thrive and survive on grace. You also need to preach other messages. Don't your people marry? What about finances? What about righteousness? What about sanctification? What about rapture? What about the, the, the judgment day of the Lord? What about... There are an array of topics. So you can't just specialize on one and then preach it forever. You, you build a very lopsided church. So Apostle Paul had a signature message and that's why he traveled from church to church. So when you see Apostle, you can easily predict his message. He has a signature message. That is one strong calling of an Apostle. The second thing that you see of an Apostle is they established churches. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 is a typical example. Paul talked about how he established the Corinth church and he called himself a wise master builder. Number three, they oversee churches and pastor pastors. Titus 1.5 is a typical example. Paul authoritatively, authoritatively instructed Titus to stay in Crete and set things there in order. You know, why was he able to talk to Titus? Because he planted a church there and he installed Titus as the pastor in the church in Crete. The other thing you see about them is that they are authorities who bring correction to a local assembly and any doctrinal issue for that matter. And when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 to 34, Paul used his apostolic authority to bring correction to the Corinth church about how they partook communion. They partook communion in a very unholy way, and the Bible lets us know that they ate it without understanding, and they were sick to the point of death. So Paul had to bring correction on, on practices like that. And then when it, comes up, when it comes to doctrinal issue, he sorted that out with the Galatian church. In fact, the whole book of Galatians is written because Paul was trying to bring clarity and correction to a doctrinal issue. And he, he, he was really talking about justification by faith. So if you especially read Galatians chapter 3, Apostle Paul starts very strongly and said that you have been bewitched. You see, when you, when you follow a wrong doctrine, you are just bewitched. You, you are bewitched. And, and Paul had to really stress on that, talk to them about the law. I've preached to you the gospel. How come you've gone back to the law? And don't you know that you, that you are not justified by the law, but you are justified by faith in Christ? Jesus? Apostle Paul had to bring that correction. Why? Because that is the office of an apostle. One thing that you also have to know about apostles is that they pioneer movements or break grounds. A typical example is Peter. The Bible lets us know that he preached to a Gentile world. It had never happened before. Nobody had ever preached to a Gentile world. The first person to ever do that was Peter. 
And why was Peter mandated to do that? It was because of his calling as an apostle. They pioneer movements or they break grounds. And Peter is credited as the person who preached the message to the Gentile world. And because of that, all of us are saved to the point that now we don't even use that term anymore. Are you understanding me? The nature of this ministry also makes it possible for you to flow in the four gifts seamlessly. So apostle is one. And then we have the four gifts that were listed uh, by the side of an apostle. So the prophetic. Apostles are able to flow prophetically because they experience supernatural encounters. That's one thing. When you read Acts chapter 10, verse 9 to 15, that is a typical example. That was Peter. He, he had a vision of foods. And he was a Jew. He had a vision of foods that he was forbidden to eat. You know, he was a Jewish guy and, you know, he doesn't eat some things. And the, the interpretation of that vision was that I'm calling you to go and minister to the Gentiles. Do not say they are unclean. See, so that's a typical example. Now, when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 6, Paul was an apostle, but he had prophetic visions of paradise. He said, I was caught up in the third heavens, and I saw things that are not lawful for any man to utter. He never even said them. When, I get, when, when, when we get to heaven one day, I'll find out what was the secret. I would like to know. Amen. Anyway, now, the, the book of Revelation is also a typical example. That was written by an apostle. You know that it wasn't written by a prophet. The book of Revelation was written by an apostle. But it has supernatural encounters, supernatural visions, and based on that experience, he wrote about the book of Revelation. So, apostles are able to flow prophetically. They are not prophets, but they can flow in the prophetic ministry. They can also operate in the evangelistic ministry. There are many times you see Paul operating like an evangelist. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 19 to 20 is a typical example. He told the Ephesian church, pray for me. I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that utterance will be given to me that I will boldly make known the gospel of Christ. That's, 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 that's an apostle. But he's playing the role of an evangelist. And 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, Paul authoritatively instructed Timothy that do the work of an evangelist. Because Paul did the work of an evangelist. And there are many scriptures on record that show that Paul did a lot of preaching. That is evangelistic. So apostles can also flow evangelistically. There is also a pastoral side to their calling. That's why I'm saying that an apostle can easily operate in the other four gifts seamlessly. There is a pastoral side to their calling. When you read Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, there were two church workers who, who were fighting, and they were females. They were called Eudoia and Syntyche. You see, church fighting didn't start today. They were really fighting. And Apostle Paul wrote to them and says that you people should be of the same mind. He was trying to reconcile the differences between these two female church workers. That's a pastoral side. Because that's what a pastor does. 
A pastor always addresses issues. When you read the book of Philemon, that is Apostle Paul's pastoral side talking. The, 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 the book of Philemon is a letter actually written to Philemon, who was a slave master, who had a slave called Onesimus. And Onesimus decided to run away. He was a runaway slave. And probably he did something very unlawful. So Paul spent that letter just talking to Philemon that, please accept Onesimus back for love's sake. It's just one chapter. The whole chapter of Philemon is Apostle Paul just pleading on behalf of Onesimus that Philemon should take him back. He's profitable. And if he has done anything, charge it to my account. When I see you, Philemon, face to face, I will remunerate you. So that's why the book of Philemon is there. So you see Apostle Paul's pastoral side coming into play here. Then Acts chapter 20, verse 17 to 38. Paul stayed in Ephesus for three years. You know, Paul started the church of Ephesus. He stayed there for three years. And one of the things that Paul said that you should all take note is that I didn't shun to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. If you do remember, I said that an apostle has a signature message. You see that when Paul stayed in one place for three years, he didn't just preach on the doctrine of grace. He preached to them the whole counsel of God's word. That's what I'm trying to say. So that's sometimes a difference between a pastor and an apostle. And when you are a pastor and when you are in charge of a local assembly, you are to declare the whole counsel of God's word, not your signature message. But when you are an apostle and when you are called to other churches, then you may have a signature message as God has mandated in your heart to declare to other churches. Do you understand? So you see that there's a difference between Apostle Paul as a pastor and him operating as an apostle. When he operated as a pastor, he didn't just focus on grace. He focused on the whole counsel of God's word. But when he became an apostle, moving from church to church, he preached the message or the signature message that God had mandated in his heart, which was the doctrine of grace. Do you understand? Now, they also have a teaching grace. Now, when you read Acts chapter 28, verse 30 to 31, it talks about Apostle Paul when he went to Rome to start the church. The Bible lets us know he stayed there for two years. The Bible says he rented a house, stayed there, and every day he preached and he taught them the kingdom of God. So that's a teaching grace. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Apostle Paul talked about giving yourself to much study so that you can rightly divide the word of truth. Now, when you read the same 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 to 13, Apostle Paul, when he was in prison, that was his last letter. His last letter he wrote before he was executed is 2 Timothy. And, and whilst he was penning that, he says that, when you come to me, bring my winter coats, bring the books, especially the parchments. So when, when God calls you into an apostle, you have to be devoted to much study. You have to be vexed in the word of God to teach. So do you understand when I say that apostles can also flow in all four offices? The reason why they can flow is not because of them per se. It is because of the gift. The gift demands they flow in these offices. Amen. So the second thing is the prophets. 
In Greek writings, they are known as interpreters of oracles or hidden things. Now, an oracle is an ambiguous statement. Okay, so sometimes something like a dream is an oracle. Sometimes it can be ambiguous. When you see someone who has the gift easily to interpret things like that, that person might be operating in a prophetic ministry. I'm not saying they, they, are, they stand in the office of a prophet. I say they might operate in a prophetic ministry because that is a strong clue. And prophets are basically known as God's spokesmen. Now, in the Bible, one of the most expansive and evolving roles in the Bible is the prophets. Their role is very expansive and it has evolved over the years. In fact, when you look through the scriptures... So, I want to talk about a prophet under the Old Testament and under the New Testament. So, under the Old Testament, prophets served as intercessors. If I let me apply the law of first mention here. When you look at the word prophet, the first time it appears in the Bible, it was used for Abraham. Genesis chapter 20 verse 9. And that was when the king touched Abraham's wife. Because Abraham lied to the king and says that Abraham is my sister. And the Bible says that when the king was asleep, the Lord said, Return Abraham's wife, for he is a prophet. And when you pray, and when he prays for you, you will be restored. You see, so that's the first time the word prophet is mentioned. And so Abraham was not, you know like we know in today's context as a prophet. He wasn't calling people's phone number. He wasn't calling people out. He didn't even flow in word of wisdom. Abraham's job was to intercede. That is also prophetic. And you will see his prophetic ministry really into play in Genesis chapter 18, verse 16 to 33. The Bible lets us know that Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because his nephew Lot was there. He sort of bargained with God from 50 to 5. Lord, if there are 50 people, righteous people, will you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? He said, no. Okay, what about 45? He said, no. What about 40? He said, no. 30, 10. He came to 5. The Lord said, no. And then, Sodom, Lot, Lot and his family, his wife and his kids were spared because of Abraham's intercessory rule. Abraham was a prophet. So, one side of the prophetic ministry is that you are an intercessor. The second thing that you will note under the Old Testament is that prophets were mouthpieces of a nation. 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 1. One day, Elijah appeared on the scene. He said, hold on, don't watch the weather channel. Listen to me. It's not going to rain. That's it. Three years and six months, it didn't rain. According to James chapter 5. So, Elijah, I'm sure just by this prediction, he really closed down the um, weather forecast channel. Because what are you going to report? In three years and six months, it's just one weather. It's not going to be rain. There's nothing to report. Then, after three years and six months, Elijah appointed himself as the weatherman again. Listen to me, it's going to be rain. He was a mouthpiece of a nation. That was the rule of a prophet under the Old Testament. Then when you read 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 17 to 28, it talks about Elijah again, prophesying about the future of 
Israel. Ahab was going to die. Jezebel was going to die because uh, uh, Ahab had also killed Naboth and taken his vineyard. And, and, and Ahab and, and um, Elijah prophesied and said that just as the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, so would they lick the blood of Jezebel. Because it was Jezebel that engineered the killing of Naboth by inciting Ahab to do so. And then when you read 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 1 to 28, the king of Israel, which was Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah, they formed a league of alliance to go for war against Syria. Now, whilst they were about to go for war, Jehoshaphat was a Christian. He says, can we inquire of a prophet? But Ahab said, no, there is this prophet. He always says bad things about me, so we can't call him. So, but anyway, they called him. His name is called Micaiah. And when Micaiah came, Micaiah said, oh, you will win the battle. And Ahab said, no, tell me the truth. And when he pressed that prophet, the prophet began to speak. He said, I see Israel scatter. And now Ahab was upset. He said, I told you, Jehoshaphat, he never prophesies good things about me. So put him in prison. And if all even happened is that one of the king's prophets, who are soothsayers, they were also prophets, slapped Micaiah. He says, put him in prison. And feed him the bread of affliction and give him the water of affliction to drink until I come back. And sometimes when I read this story, I say, this prophet, he comes from a certain tribe in Ghana. He said, look, if you come back, then the Lord has not spoken by me. That's what he said. That's what he said. He was very bold. This prophet was very, very wild. Anyway, to cut matters short, Ahab was overthrown. Israel lost the battle. So prophets were mouthpieces of a nation. Whatever they say concerning a national agenda of the nation normally comes to pass because they were mandated to be so. One thing about prophets is that they served as counselors to kings. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 to 15. Nathan is a typical example. They were judges of a nation. Deborah, she was a prophetess. She was a judge of a nation. Through Deborah's prophetic council, Israel were able to defeat Jabin, who was an oppressor of the Israelites. Some could also function as priests. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 8 to 13. Samuel was a prophet, but he was also a priest. He could, he could perform sacrifices. You know, in the Old Testament, you couldn't really overlap rules. It was dangerous. You could die for doing that. You know, but, but someone could somehow overlap rules. He, you know, because in the Old Testament, prophets were not supposed to sacrifice. And priests were not supposed to behave like prophets. But sometimes you can see an overlapping of rules because they may operate in dual offices. A typical example is David. David operated in three offices. He was a king, he was a priest, and he was a prophet. So some could function as priests. One particular prophet who functioned as a priest too was Ezekiel. He was a priest. Amen. Prophets were also psalmists or songwriters. Like David and Miriam. You know, David was a prophet. He was also a psalmist. He wrote 73 of the psalms. 73 psalms out of 150 psalms. Moses was a prophet. He was also a songwriter. Moses wrote Psalm 90. Moses wrote only one psalm. And then Miriam, his sister, was also a prophetess. She also wrote a song. 
Exodus chapter 15, verse 20 to 21, Moses, no, Miriam, I'm sorry, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sang a song. So prophets or prophetesses were psalmists or songwriters under the Old Testament. Now, their main function was to foretell of the coming Messiah in Jesus Christ. So under the Old Testament, that was the main function of the Old Testament prophets to foretell of the coming Messiah in Jesus Christ. And that is why the 17 books, the last 17 books are written of the Old Testament. That is from Isaiah to Malachi. In between those books are 17 books of the Old Testament. That's the last 17 books of the Old Testament. Isaiah to Malachi. All those books there are written to foretell of the coming Messiah in Jesus Christ who will come and be an atonement for the sins of the world. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today's word. We thank you for understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.